stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Given everything we're learning about concussions, brain injuries, and CTE, does it seem as though the NHL is in denial? Now, just about a month ago, just ahead of the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, Gary Bettman uh, and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly were meeting with the media and were asked a question about all of this. And it's a logical question because certainly many hockey players have been impacted by this. Uh, Gary Bettman said, uh, quote, there's nothing new on the subject. Who then went to Bill Daly, went even further, said this is not the commissioner's view, it's the science's view. There's not enough information to draw that link. The link being, the link between repeated hits to the head, repeated concussions, and CTE. So what does the science actually tell us? And is the NHL at odds with that science? Now, there are liability issues for the NHL, which I I think really speaks to, to how they've approached this. And it is the subject of some ongoing legal action. Our next guest has uh, written a lot about this issue and has been uh, very outspoken about this issue. As an op-ed piece in the Washington Post today, uh, also wrote a piece last week for TheAthletic.com and explores many of these issues in his book, Game Change, The Life and Death of Steve Monador and the Future of Hockey. Ken Dryden, former uh, goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens, a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame and a member of Parliament uh, between 2004 and 2011, joins us. Mr. Dryden, great to have you back with us here. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Rob. Uh, since we last spoke a few months ago, when, when your book came out, it, it does seem as though it's helped raise the profile of this issue uh, even more. But has anything changed since we last spoke? Well, not apparently. I mean, I, I, um, um, uh, like I don't know that anything has changed, whether it's changed subtly in terms of, of uh, the way the games were, were called in the last uh, few months of the year, whether there were any either directives or suggestions to the referees to handle things differently or whether the Department of Player Safety, um, same thing in terms of suspensions. And, um, but it, it, it wasn't clear to me that, that any different suggestions were made or directives made or, or different decisions made. Um, and and then and then I guess the, the the parts that that were most troublesome out of you know so you're you're trying to read the tea leaves in that without any sort of official expression from the league, and then there were there were two at least two moments probably just the two um, where Gary Bettman uh, spoke publicly and and one was um, uh, the WFAN in New York. I think what they probably there's probably a tradition there of where they have an interview with the commissioner of the four biggest professional sports in the U.S. just prior to the playoffs. So it was Gary Bettman's turn um, um, early in April. I think um, Adam Silver was on the NBA commissioner just after that, and I assume they do the same with the NFL and with Major League Baseball. And so this was an extensive interview. It, it, it went, I mean, I remember timing. It was 23 minutes long. I think Gary Bettman was on it for the first 17 or 18 minutes. Um, and there were the three um, hosts of it and asking questions. And the first half of it, 
was was pretty much you know the the kind of nice give and take you know that they that uh, you know exciting times uh, amazing what Vegas has done um, that sort of thing um, and then and then somebody asked the question about about head injuries and concussions and so Gary Bettman started you know you know uh, started into it and then it got kind of more focused uh in in you know that that the the questions became more focused as the answers were less satisfying so far as the hosts were concerned and then the most revealing part came after the interview when Gary Bettman went off the line and there was another four minutes or so where the hosts the three of them could kind of rehash things and they were so dismissive about and, and one of the things that one of the, the big telling questions was, well, are, do you believe the NHL is doing everything it can do? And there was sort of a pause, and then Gary Bettman saying, we're we, we're doing what we think is appropriate, or you know, something words that are quite close to that. Well, that really bothered the hosts, and 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 to some extent in those next four minutes, and then a few days later. They had occasion to talk about it again. They replayed that part of the the Bettman interview, and the one guy came on and said, "You know, it it makes me sick. Actually, it, I think the borderline makes me sick to my stomach when I hear this and that." And then, then the next time was as you described. You know, when when it came, was the um, um, the press conference that he holds annually on the first on the day of the first game of the finals. And where you know the the handing it to to Bill Daly, and and it's you know as as and the answers were the same. I mean the answers are the same that basically that that he's given for the last two or three or four years. And there's a part of me that understand there, there's a consistency to the answer, and 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 it comes from. You know the the the, you know, the the point that, and it's a significant point, of saying, look, you know that that you cannot draw a line between the point a point of where a hit is made and somebody somebody being diagnosed after their death um, of having you know CTE. You cannot do that. You do not know that it happened with that hit in that game that caused that end result. Mm-hmm. You're pretty sure now that, that CTE is connected to blows to the head, but those blows could, could have come when you were three years old and you fell down the stairs or, you know, or something else. So if you can't connect the dots, you've got no case. So that's essentially what, and if you've got no case, why should we talk about it? Why should we go into it? Why should we change things? This and that. Okay, that's part of the question. The second part of the question, though, is, is that you are not the, you know, you're not the legal commissioner. You are the commissioner of the NHL. And, 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 and this is about decision-making. And if you are a commissioner, what you do is that you have to apply all kinds of different ways of looking at a question. One of them is legal, other is business, other is whatever it happens to be, but you're looking at all of them. And your job is, in almost every case, you don't know for sure anything. All you can know is the best that can be known at any particular moment. 
That's, that's the most that, that is available to anybody. That's all science can do. Science doesn't offer certainties. Science can only offer the best of what we can know at any given moment. So we keep studying, and tomorrow we know something a little different, and 10 years now, you know, we know something more. But your job is to take the best of what we know and apply it. And that's what the NHL is not doing. And that's the disturbing part for me, you know, is that is that my have and, and so have things changed very much? I don't know. From the nature of those interviews, I would say that the thinking remains the same the same. Seems like it does. Now and you talked about your piece in, in the Athletic last week about simple changes the league could make. Like right now, for example, if someone flips the puck over the glass, whether it's accidental or not, whatever the intent is, it's an automatic penalty, an automatic two-minute penalty. If we're interested in player safety, wouldn't it make sense, and you've made the case for this, that a hit to the head, any hit to the head, regardless of the intent, would be an automatic penalty? Would would that make a big difference? I think it would. I mean, and, and, and what I tried to do in Game Change and in our, dis- our discussion earlier and with others is to say this is not revolutionary thinking. This is, this is not at all. We have known maybe from the beginning of hockey, but if not within a few years of the beginning, of where the head is vulnerable. So what did we do? We created a high-sticking penalty. You do not high stick somebody's shoulder. A high stick is about hitting somebody in the head with your stick. We created an elbowing penalty. Same thing. You don't elbow somebody's hip, you elbow their head. And so in a sense, we've almost made those automatic penalties. You hit somebody in the head with your stick, you know, it's, it's, it's a high-sticking penalty. With your elbow, it's an elbowing penalty. We've even, in, in the last 10 years, and I, you know, maybe it was five, maybe it was eight, I don't know, 10 years ago, anyway, of, of where if we hit our opponent in the face with our stick, it's an automatic penalty. If the person is bleeding, then it's a double minor or worse than that. But it's an automatic penalty, just like the one, as you mentioned, of shooting it over the glass. Now, when those first came out, and I can remember when they came out, and I'm sure you can and your listeners can, is that there was all kinds of debate. It was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. He didn't intend to shoot it over the glass. I mean, the ice was bad. It was late in the period. The glass is shorter in one rink than in another, you know, this and that. And and that became the focus. With the stick to the head, you know, in the face, same thing. You know, it was like he didn't mean to do it. It was accidental. You know, a stick rebounded off the other guy's arm. The other guy brought his head down a little bit. You know, and then and then guess what happened? You know, a few weeks later, by then, you know, all of a sudden, no arguments. You know, that if you watch last year's playoffs that way, there, that virtually every penalty call would lead to a player uh, or more than one or their coach, you know, in, in some kind of, you know, yelling with the referee. There were two instances when there was nothing, when the, shot, when the puck is shot over the glass, when the player was hit in the face with a stick. Not even a discussion right to the box right to Mm -hmm. the box the game goes on no big deal players adapt coaches adapt you know and 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 the game is unchanged that's what you can do in terms of of hits to that all of these things about how it transforms the game and all the rest of it no 
It wouldn't at all. And, and you totally underestimate the capacity of players to adapt. That's what they do all of their lives. They find ways of, uh, they, they know there are 10 different ways of achieving the same thing. So if, if one way is blocked off or even if eight ways are blocked off, they find a ninth. They find a tenth. That's what they would do in this instance. And instead, of course, what we have is the day after, you know, one of these things happened. Then we've got these panel shows and dissecting the hit. And was it a little high? Did he leave his feet a little bit? Was it this or that? Who cares? You know, that, that whether it's intentional or, or accidental, whether it's legal or illegal, whether it's with, you know, whatever part of the, the body that you do it, the brain doesn't care. The brain doesn't distinguish. It is damaged equally by all of them. So let's just get on with it. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, some researchers at the University of Calgary tomorrow, in fact, are, are holding a news conference uh, to announce a, a step forward, they say, uh, a breakthrough in developing what would be a blood test, essentially, uh, for brain injuries. So we're going to learn more about that tomorrow. Yeah. But, I well, mean, how and, important and that, would it you know, be I'm to sure have that, something that, like that? That's, that's important stuff. But just remember that that's an after the fact. Right. That's once the brain injury has happened, then we are able to, you know, we hope, be able to detect it, and then be able to offer some treatment, medication, procedures, and things like that. But that you know that there is not one of those doctors, nor any doctor anywhere, that would say that that would put that person into a better position or into an equal position as to whether as as opposed to never having had the injury in the first place. And that's what we're talking, you know, you never remove concussions. Concussions are going to happen, but but you can reduce them significantly. That's the point. Yeah, which is an important point. Now, um, I mentioned Nick Boynton, and um, I'm sure you read his article for the Players' Tribune. We, We had him as a guest on this program. You know, the one thing he talked about was the fear players have about looking for help. Uh, that he had to suffer in silence, as so many have. And and so we can talk about the NHL. He he had some, some words for the NHLPA as well. Why aren't they advocating for players? Why don't they help players break that silence? Well, that's a very good question. And I think it's a question that, that uh, is one that, that needs to be asked of Don Fear and asked more often. Uh, I mean, I think I know the at least some of the explanations, but... Uh, but they're only explanations, and in the end, you would think that the players would be the biggest advocates. But when you when you think back about you know that that other workplaces that historically have been understood as dangerous, and whether it's in in mines or in in factories, and the that usually what happens is that the that the driving force is not the the worker or the injured worker and why not and it's for a lot of the same reasons as you know as for you know a a, a professional athlete even though the athlete is making immensely more money than the guy who goes down in the mine 
it, it's still the same kind of vulnerabilities. It, it is like, you know, that, well, you know, this is my job. This is my life, whether it's on the ice or whether it's going to go down in, in the mine. I don't want to put it at risk. I don't want the mine to shut down. I don't want this game to be less popular. I don't, you know, that, that if it does, what am I going to do? This, and, and so usually, the, you know, the voice that you would assume that would be the strongest and most predominant voice isn't that voice. And that's why you have people like Don Fear and others where you, you, you know, you, you had the leaders of the United Mine Workers and others to push that point, you know, of how, look, you know, that, that, that mining is dangerous, but it doesn't have to be as dangerous as it is. We can implement this, we can implement that. Yes, it may mean a cost to the mine to do this and to that, but it's not, in, in almost every case, it's not going to shut the mine down. And, and, so, but it, and so that becomes a really, really important, is that, is that what, you know, are the, you know, what is the Players Association you know, doing in this? Now, that said, is that is that you know that that the 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 decision maker in hockey is not the players association and is not Don Fear. It is Gary Bettman. Yeah. And and so as one asks those questions of of Don Fear, not to stop asking the questions of Gary Bettman and not to and you know and, and to not shift a focus away from those depositions that you saw and that I saw that were unbelievably both revealing and infuriating. Well they were. And I mean Sure, the NHL could wait until the courts force them to do something, but but how much more damage to, to their brand yeah. and, and damage to individuals that, that they could act? They could act right away. They could, they could, and and the thing I think that's what you know that will you know that if if something is going to get them to act, it isn't going to be the the, the damages and the prospective you know financial damages. It is the utter embarrassment of 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 a public actually hearing your voice explain away you know what you know and what you don't know and the rest of it is that i mean that that you know when you think of it in terms of a year you know gary bettman gets interviewed i don't know 50 times or something like that but the interviews are really short i mean that that wfan one was really long but the others are you know, two minutes, three minutes. They're part of a scrum. You get one question. The next person's got something else in their mind. They go off to something else. I mean, if you're in any way adept, you can find your way through the minefield of those kinds of, of interactions. It's, it's dead simple, you know, to do that. What's really tough, you know, is, is, is a deposition which may go on for a couple of hours and and uh, and where you know you it, it, and if you kind of as i say in the piece if you kind of cleverly dodge the person who's watching it you know is sort of saying why are you being so clever why are you dodging uh what's going on here and and the same you know, imagine what it would be if if this went to trial and where you know the, i mean the, the news media is you know uh, I mean moves on to the next story and the next story. Well, if all of a sudden you have a news cycle where it's day after day after day after day after day of this kind of testimony, 
you're going to stay with it, and the public is going to stay with you and watching it. And you better have a good answer. I mean, the the the, the you know the, the dodge and the duck and the dance, they don't play really well. You know, if, if in fact there is an audience there to watch it, and if you get to something like parliamentary hearings, it's the same thing. I mean, it's it it gets harder from here. You know that that you know just just kind of denying, deflecting, and creating doubt, which you know becomes a strategy, uh, is a fairly easy one up to a point. But then, if things are pushed in different formats, then it becomes a whole lot harder. Indeed. Well, that book is uh, Game Change, The Life and Death of Steve Montador and the Future of Hockey, as mentioned uh, today in the Washington Post and last week at theathletic.com, uh, which is uh, unlocked uh, for people to read. Ken Dryden, so great having you with us here today, and uh, thanks so much for making some time for us. Thanks a lot, Rob. All the best to you. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.